Hey, this is Claire Morgan. I'm a senior executive in the consumer goods industry. If you're watching and wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Giannotsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. The purpose of the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. It is now time to adapt in our fast-moving world. Listeners, today I have a guest, and her name is Claire Morgan, and Claire has 30-year career as a leader in consumer goods, mostly FMCG with a foray into fashion and consumer durables along the way. She has led a multinational company in New Zealand and has been a sales and marketing executive in the dairy industry and in the alcohol industry. Claire has a passion for entrepreneurship, innovation, and driving value and growth for organizations. She is a New Zealander, in other words, a Kiwi, but has lived and worked in both Australia and most recently in Singapore, working throughout Southeast Asia, giving her a global perspective and more importantly, an insight into working with different cultures and the leadership skills needed to achieve outcomes in different markets. So, Claire, hey, welcome to the show today. Thanks, Dennis. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Claire, so I've just done a quick introduction on you. Can you tell us a little bit more about about your background? Yeah, certainly. Look, I'm a Kiwi, as um, it's already been stated, and um, really had a career in sales and marketing for 30-odd years, um, working both in New Zealand, Australia, and Singapore. But we have a real passion for growing brands, growing businesses, developing people, and worked across you know, different industries, mainly in FMCG and alcohol, but in a number of different companies, seeing different cultures, whether they're a New Zealand-based company or a multinational and things like that, which gives you a great perspective on how different companies operate and, you know, how the cultures work within them. And when you say about the cultures, uh, how does does leadership differ in, in the different cultures that you're talking about? I think it does to some degree. If I just take most recently, I guess, the experience I had in Singapore, where I was working really for a strategic alliance between two companies. One was a large Kiwi company and the other was a company that was headquartered out of the U.S., And the leadership that you saw in both of those organisations was quite different. And I think it's driven to a certain extent by the culture of the company, but also the culture of where the companies come from. 
the American company in this instance had much more hierarchy and much more structure and discipline, where naturally as Kiwis, we're much more egalitarian, I guess, and it's much more fluid. You know, people talk to all sorts of people in the organisation and there's not a structured sort of way of communicating up and down through the organisation. It's, it's much more fluid. So you have to adapt your style for each of those different types of cultures, really, I think. Hmm. So know your audience and know who's in front of you all the time so then you can adapt appropriately for that audience wherever you are in the world, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. And so, clear here, the question I've got here for you is um, who's your favourite leader? Now, this person could be alive or they could be from history. So who's your favourite leader and why? Nelson Mandela. I guess I was, you know, of that age where we grew up through apartheid and then Nelson Mandela coming through. And I think... The compassion that the man showed and demonstrated, having been locked up in jail for numerous years and coming out and uniting a country, I think was quite phenomenal. The fact that he was able to leave any bitterness behind and really had a vision for what he wanted South Africa to be and the way he went about it. And I think one of the things that really stuck in my mind the most with Nelson Mandela, I think, was was the Rugby World Cup, I think, 1995 where the All Blacks actually lost to South Africa, which um, is something we as Kiwis hate. But the presence that he showed and his involvement in that game, embracing, I guess, what in South Africa, it was white, elitist sort of sport, but yet he used that as as a gesture, as a visual cue to help unite that country. And I think it made a massive difference. And I think you know, those vis- leadership, you know, a lot of it is what we say and all that sort of thing. But those visual cues of, you know, you could say today wearing a mask or not wearing a mask or, you know, coming out and standing on a rugby field, which was totally foreign to him, made a massive difference. So, look, I just think, you know, he certainly inspired me. And, you know, I've read a lot of his, his book and things like that. And it's just amazing what he achieved. Yeah, and I think there's a film out there. I think it's called Invictus. Is there? Invictus. Uh, it's an amazing movie. The rugby and it's terrible, but the the movie. And actually, at the end of it, I remember saying to my husband, "If we had to lose a game of rugby, this is the one that perhaps was perhaps better for the world. Not so good for Kiwis, but better for the world that we lost that game." Yeah, and I think there's some great messaging, as you say, in that in that movie um, about what he shared and what he wanted to do. And if you haven't checked that out, listeners, uh, check out that film Invictus. Great uh, movie around messaging around leadership. And I think you know what Claire's just said there about the his presence and embracing it, but um, having a vision, right? So having a vision for the country, but using the sporting field or the sporting event as a way to actually help. The whole country embrace and unite together was fantastic, and uh, yeah. yeah, I think I think it's a great great option that you've well selection you just made there. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, um, the show here is called Leadership is Changing, and when I say that statement, uh, what does that mean for you? Yeah, I, I thought about this quite a bit, and I think it's a really interesting question. I think leadership is changing, sometimes for the better and sometimes not. Um, I think, but I think what's impacting it is the speed of which things is happening, the ambiguity that we've got to deal with in our lives and in the world, the amount of information that's available. There's information available, but quite often not insight coming out of that. Um, And then juggling those numerous balls in the air means that leadership needs to constantly evolve. And if, if you sort of step back and go, well, what are the big chunks of work that a leader should do? You know, to me, I sort of divide it into four buckets. You know, one bucket is really around the long-term vision, where a business is heading, what's what's happening. 
The second bucket is really around, you know, the operational day-to-day, are we delivering the results and things like that. So that's sort of the business half. And then the other half is that sort of third bucket is your people and your team and the people around you and how do you inspire and mentor and develop that team. And then the last bucket is yourself which is usually the bucket that um, gets squeezed if um, everything else is, you know, putting pressure on you. But I think it is juggling all of those sort of buckets. But I think as we move into agile teams and all of these sort of things, the need to sort of have a vision is really, really important because you've got teams working on different things. But also increasingly, I think, you know, skills around persuasion and things like that are becoming, and influence are becoming more important as, you know, lines of authority and that are sort of changing within organisations. So I think it is going through quite an evolution. And, you know, some some companies you see are really embracing that agile way of working, which is a huge, you know, new learning curve for leaders to operate within those sort of environments. And at the same time, obviously, with COVID going on, people working from home and, you know, different working environments is driving a lot of change. And how do you ensure that you are getting the outcomes that you require, you know, from your teams and from the for the business when everyone is working remotely? Yeah, great. So four buckets. One would be the long-term vision. Number two is the day-to-day operations. Number three would be people in the teams. And number four would be yourself. And that number four, clear that yourself. But I think, as you said, you know, we tend to sort of, if we run out of time or that, we sort of give that one a little bit less attention. Do you think that we should be giving that probably more attention, that, that, that one in particular? And, and what do you think we might need to do to look after ourselves? Look, I think, yeah, we do need to give that one more attention. Well, I I guess some people do it better. I'm not good. I tend to squeeze that and give more time to the other things. But unless you're in top performance, you know, you're clear in your thought, your your brain's working well, you're fit, you're healthy, you're not, you know, you're continuing to develop and educate yourself, you're not going to give your best to the other three buckets. But it is the one that does get compromised. And I I think, too, in big organisations, you can get very hooked up in the day-to-day and be on sort of a treadmill like a mouse running around, um, sort of going to meetings and, and doing everything else and actually just taking some time out and thinking about what you want to achieve in the next year, in the next 90 days. You know, have you got the right team? You actually need to create space to get your thinking straight in a lot of instances because otherwise you just get on this treadmill of surviving. Yep, so take some time out to think about the future. Otherwise, as you say, right, we run from, and and part of my introduction, run from email to email, meeting to meeting, and then you're just not being able to have that time to breathe and step back and think a little bit. So, yeah, take time out to think about the future. Really, really, really important. How has your business or industry changed and what impact has that had on you? Yeah, I think it's a great question and most probably one that we could talk about for quite a while as well. But I think... There's, there's a lot of change going on. Obviously, we could talk about the pandemic and everything else like that, but let's just put that to one side. And I think, you know, if you look at what change that businesses are going through, I think one of the big changes is this license to operate, you know, from an environmental, from a community perspective. And over the last five years, I've seen that really develop a lot. And, you know, with social media and society wanting things from companies that perhaps they didn't necessarily 
want previously or weren't able to articulate what they wanted. But with social media and everything else, they can demand that and things are a lot more transparent. So, you know, that whole environmental issue, you know, if you go through as your packaging, you know, the way you treat people, you know, all your policies around diversity and inclusion and everything else. So there are a lot of them are sort of softer sort of measures, but they're not the typical financial measures that were there previously. So I think that's been quite a massive change that, that has come through and is increasingly coming through that needs to be sort of measured. The other thing that I think has changed too, and they're sort of interrelated to a certain extent, but I think some of the youngsters that are coming out of universities and into organisations, one, are wanting to work for organisations that deliver all of those things the license to operate, et cetera, type things that I've just spoken about. But also they've got quite a different mindset. And look, this is a generalisation, but, you know, it's a lot more about what is the company going to do for me as opposed to what am I going to do for the company? And, you know, when am I going to get promoted? And I've spent 18 months in this job. You know, I need to have my next opportunity, et cetera. So a lot of them are, are wanting to step through work quite quickly and you know, get everything out for themselves. And they're not really learning to live with the consequences of their decisions and things like that. And if you haven't been in a role for three or four years, sometimes you can just jump to the next one and you, you don't get that learning opportunity. So I think managing that younger group of people is and leading them and you know, helping them is is certainly different from what it was, you know, say five, ten years ago. Yeah, and would that be managing their expectations or would it be managing and leading them uh, strongly so then they can have some strong direction and support? I think it's leading, well, it's managing their expectations and leading them strongly, you know, giving them experiences and everything else like that. But also, yeah, just encouraging them to take time to learn. It's not a race. <laughs> and yeah. those those skills that you learn, you know, in your 20s and 30s will help you be a much better leader when they get into their 40s and things like that. So I think it's, it is it, it is just resetting some of those sort of things. And I think some of it's driven because they've had information and everything that's happening around them really quickly. Their desire to, to get there quickly is, is just this energy that's happening. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And also, yeah, if you can take time out to learn as much as you can throughout these different roles. So then a little bit later on down the track, when you're more of an experienced leader, you've got a lot more substance behind you, a lot more strength. And so because you've got more experiences, uh, another way I say it clear is war stories, right? If you've got war stories, you're able to work with those. Yeah, and I think until you've sort of had a failure or a knockback or a surprise and learned how to deal with that, you know, life can be quite easy. And when you've come over some of those challenges or dealt with some of those difficult things, it gives you that reservoir and that resilience of confidence to move forward with and to handle different, you know, challenges that come towards you. Okay. To move forward. So, yeah, that confidence. And, and that's a, I think that's a big thing too because, and it won't be just a one-off. You'll get challenged a lot of times and you'll have all sorts of curveballs thrown at you, but it's the ability to be able to build on that foundation, be resilient, but have the reservoir of that that confidence to help you. I, th I think you're right. I think that's a great thing for people to do and, and have in place for sure. Excellent. Hey, um, if there was one thing you could change as a business leader today, what, what would that be? Yeah, I um, thought about this one, and it's going to be a bit of a different different answer, actually, but um, I wish more dads would take parental leave. Hmm, <laughs> wow. And why I say that, 
you know, we talk about diversity and inclusion and things like that, and I think it's really critical. But until we get the step change in society and leadership where dads, you know, take time out to raise their children and it's not always the mum, we're never going to truly embrace that diversity and inclusion and things like that. Look, I think it's great for dads, and I know dads that have done it, and it's they love that experience and things like that. But I think there will always be that sort of prejudice or it's not even a prejudice, that bias that's sitting there with against females and if dads don't take more of that responsibility. So I know it's a bit of a weird one, but I think it's a really um, important one to encourage that. Yeah, great. And, and have you seen over the last few years that needle being moved in the sense that you're seeing more dads doing that? Oh, look, I think it is happening, but I think it's happening really slowly. And, you know, just being a leader of teams of people, you know, if a child's sick, it's often the mum, the woman that's working, that takes time out to go and look after that sick child and things like that. You don't see that equity still coming through as much as what would be great if it really, you know, and I think it would improve um, working places and everything if there was more alignment and both of them took as much responsibility for raising those families. Yeah. Hey, listeners, I'm here with Claire Morgan. We're just talking about leadership is changing. And one question, one thing that Claire's just said is that more dads should take uh, parental leave. That will actually help with the diversity of things as well. So, um, yeah, some really interesting discussions here. Claire, how has um, employees' expectations changed? In other words, what are they looking for more from, from leaders? Yeah, I think that, yeah, it's a, that's an interesting question. And I think it varies a lot within organisations and most probably varies a lot within, you know, what roles people are playing within the organisation. But people are wanting, and I think one of the things that I found working in some of the Asian markets, what they were looking for from their leaders is different from what you see with, you know, in New Zealand as well. I think they are looking for everything in some ways. They're looking for a career. They're looking for a mentor. They're looking for a coach. They're looking to work for a company that's delivering to them, you know, around the environment, around their development and everything else. Particularly um, in New Zealand, you see that. And there is that, what is it in it for me, a little bit more coming through, where if you look at some of the sort of ASEAN markets that I was working in, you know, there's a lot more generosity and community community, that sort of collegiate experience coming through, wanting the team to succeed and everything else like that. So I think it is different for different markets, but people are looking to their leaders to, one, have a really clear vision to know where the organisation is going, that they're working for an organisation that they feel comfortable with, that they have an alignment in with the values of the organisation and everything else like that. And increasingly, that values and whether the company and, and the leader and the people that are leading the organisation, if their values are akin to where they see their values, is, is really important. And I think, and especially the younger generation coming through are looking for that more and more. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, good. So what's in it for me is, is, is a big thing for a lot of employees. Trying to, and actually, I think a lot of it comes down to those values that you just talked about and then helping the employees understand what it is, what is in it for them to help them really understand what the values are and what it is for the organisation. Because for a lot of people, they hear strategy, they hear the values, they hear the vision, the mission, and it sort of gets pushed down their throat and they go like, yeah, but that does. what does that mean for me? And I think that's what you're just saying there as well as showing what's in it for them will be really, really quite important. Yeah, and I think it is a really important role of the leader to actually be able to translate that and make it relevant. 
you know, because you can have very lofty goals, and especially in big global multinationals where, you know, what does it actually mean for my day-to-day? Because I have a really strong belief that 99% of people come to work wanting to do a really good job and wanting to, you know, take the company in the right direction and, and do the things that are right. And I think, you know, actually translating what that vision means down into individual people's roles and things like that is really important. And, and giving them confidence that what they're working on is the right thing because people are much better if they're confident and have comfort around what they're doing is the right thing um, and you'll get much more out of them that way. So I think that's that's really important. But I do think those values, you, especially with younger people coming through, if the company doesn't have a, a position around environmental things or community or what they're giving back and that wider, more holistic sort of scorecard that we talk about, then, you know, they'll ask those questions. They, they want to know what the company is doing around some of those sort of things. And, you know, potentially having worked in the dairy industry where, you know, there's concerns around the environment and the impact that cattle can have and things like that, they really want to know what is that sort of, you know, environmental policy and how are we progressing against it and are we making a difference? Yeah. And so if they if they find that the company or the leader is not taking a position, well, what tends to happen for those younger ones in particular? What, what would they do? I think they, in the end they leave if that if there's a jarring there with those values and things like that. You can you can do so much to keep them, but they are they have been brought up and they've had much more information available to them than perhaps what, you know, I did when I was growing up and and they will make those differences. And it's interesting, a lot of, you know, the youngsters that I know have actually gone into non-for-profits and other organisations like that because they feel more comfortable with the values and what they're doing and they're, they're doing good for society. Yeah, I know that, um, yeah, as you say, today they have a lot of information. It's a lot quicker for them, for sure. And I and I know that probably when you and I were growing up, we had that uh, those books called the Britannicus Encyclopedias and um, yeah, those big, big books. They were full of information, wealth of information, but um, it wasn't quick in actually getting no, it that. it wasn't quick, but it was, it was unbiased and it was informative. I think I read somewhere the other day that I thought was quite an interesting quote that People today are more well-read but less informed. And I think it's an interesting one with the way that the algorithms sit behind social media and things like that, that people tend to get fed what they're interested in. They don't get a perspective and a broader perspective. And I think it's it's something that, you know, as a leader, you will have someone that can be very adamant about something and actually giving them a different perspective or a different way of looking things is actually what you need to do because, you know, once you get that algorithm feeding you the information, that's all they're going to believe and it's and they don't get a different perspective. So I think we need to give people that different perspective sometimes so that they can consider it and think from a different angle. Yeah, I was talking to someone the other day and in fact one of the workshops I was holding and uh, facilitating and he said to me that he got rid of a whole lot of stuff and his feeds and the social media and that and didn't want to know about them blocked, block, block, block. Then a whole lot of new stuff started coming through his feeds and it started to become a lot more positive things that he was looking for, which was really good. And uh, he saw a bit of a change. And But it did take him a, quite a lot of work to get rid of the other stuff. And I think that also happens to us in a day-to-day life within business and so forth. It depends on who we are talking to and what's going on. There's there a lot of noise, whether it be positive or negative. I think people need to be a little bit more, a little bit careful to be, then get the right perspective and things. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think, yeah, who you associate yourself with and getting that positivity is a critical thing that it needs to come through. And, you know, I think as a a leader, um, actually being positive 
and having a smile on your face and being open the whole time, you know, people look for that body language and read those cues for you. And, you know, even if you've had a, a shocking day or something hasn't got, you know, it's gone wrong at home, you've actually got to put that positivity forward the whole time. Yeah, and I think even with uh, COVID as well, you know, with pandemic and people working from home, I use this terminology, high tech, high touch. I think that um, a lot of that positivity, and, and it needs to be authentic, right? I mean, it, you can't, cannot be authentic. It has to be authentic. But we need a lot more of that, even from a visual perspective, because we're not seeing people face-to-face a lot. Yeah, and I think that, that's right. And I think, you know, even if it's not your natural way, you have to force yourself to, you know, have a cadence of catch-ups and, you know, reach out to people and talk to people more. Because it's very easy to, you know, if you are slightly introverted, to lock yourself away and not, you know, reach out and do that. So as a leader, you know, you can't bump into people if everyone's working from home. You've actually got to, you know, schedule times where you need to reach out and touch, you know, talk to people and have those conversations and and then make sure it's video rather than just voice and things like that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like what you said before about that quote, about people today are well-read and less informed. So make sure you get a different perspectives and things. Yeah, it's really good. Hey, Claire, what makes a leader successful today in this fast-paced, ever-changing world? Yeah, I think confidence is a really uh, critical one. I think you need to have that confidence and that comfort in your own skin um, is really important. I think dealing with ambiguity is really important as well. Um, we do, we're not going to have all the facts in front of us and we do need to make decisions and move forward, especially, you know, when we're talking about the pandemic at the moment, no one knows what's happening. If you take your standard bell curve, you know, we're at the very beginning of what could happen through this. So, you know, there's more ambiguity and challenges coming our way with that. I think one of the other things that leaders need to be able to do is synthesize information really quickly. You're going to get a lot of information coming at you. And sometimes I think people can get overwhelmed by it all. So, you know, if you have that saying, take one bite of the elephant at a time, it is breaking it down and helping your people break down what needs to be done and, you know, get that work and that information structured so that people can make sense of it all and that ability to synthesize that information quickly. I think increasingly that gut or that intuition is important and people need to learn to trust it. And I think possibly, I know some people have a good gut instinct and whether that comes from years of experience and all the the challenges that we've dealt with and the, you know, the things that we've seen and that enables us to use our gut more. But I, I think that gut and people need to follow that gut a little bit more sometimes. I think, especially when you're dealing with people, you know, take the time to, read people and watch people and understand and listen carefully to what people are saying. But then also go with your gut is really important because often, you know, if these things going on or people aren't performing, you've got to pick back that onion a little bit to see why not and, you know, what's driving them and what's motivating them and what's happening in their lives that's that's the handbrake for them. So I think it's really important to spend that time. So that empathy and compassion is really important, but that observation and that gut instinct um, is also very important as well. Mm, mm, that gut instinct for sure. Yeah, it's a real real, um, a real interesting one. And I, I'm not sure about you, but I, I know that when something's not right, it just really, I don't know, I feel, I feel sick at times. I feel not right within me. And I just know my gut's telling me something and I'm like, oh, what's not right? And then I just look into it more 
And then once I make a decision or we do something and we fix something or we highlight it, it just goes away. Yeah, and I think it is that trust, as you were saying, you know, if you feel that something's not right, there's likely, you know, what's the worst can happen? You can investigate and find that you're wrong or you can trust your gut and dig into it. And quite often you do feel that something's not quite right or what's been told's not quite right or, you know, people are over-optimistic about something or they're being Mm. too pessimistic about something. Or, you know, sometimes it's as simple as people have just got too much on their plate. So, you know, they're prioritising what they want to do, not what needs to be done sometimes. So it's just understanding what's driving that and your gut's a good indicator for it. And it is, to me, it is a sense. It's, you can't articulate it. You just get a feel for it. Yep, yep. Okay, cool. Hey, the question here for you. So if I was to get you to bring out your crystal ball and start thinking about the future and all that side of things and having a vision like a leader does, where, where do you see leadership being in five years? Where I see it being... I guess I've got a hope and a wish for where I see it to be. In reality, I'm not sure that it's going to end up there. I think my hope is to see it continue and be more inclusive, you know, more compassionate, more welcoming of diversity, you know, that visionary, that creative, that equitable place for everyone to work within, you know, and having really clear visions. And I think, as we spoke of earlier, this move to agile and work teams working together, actually the need to have a really clear vision and a direction of where people are heading is going to be really, really important. And measuring people on outputs, I think, is going to be quite a shift. Because people are going to be working remotely or working in unusual environments, you know, that's going to be important to measure people on their outputs and have a different way of judging how people are progressing and things like that. I think it's going to be important. My worry is, you know, we see through the political systems in a lot of the countries, this move to a very authoritarian type of lead, political leader, you know, bombastic, et cetera. And and with the pandemic and uncertainty and things like that, I do have a worry that that type of leader will rise to the top because people want to be told what to do. They're feeling unsafe. They're feeling living in fear. They're uncertain. There's uncertainty and people will want much more of a directive sort of leader. So, you know, over the next five years, I could see a swing that way because of the fear that people are living within. I hope not. I hope that we, you know, have a much more inclusive, compassionate type of leadership. But I'm not convinced that that's going to be the way it ends up. Mm, Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where it goes for sure. Yeah, because uh, five years is not long, but it is long, and a lot can happen, um, especially in a leadership world where things are happening so fast every single day. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Yeah, no, I think it will be very interesting to see where it goes. Yeah. yeah it is cool. uncertain times that we're living within, and, you know, people want to feel safe. And I think, you know, if leaders can provide that safety and that comfort to people, that will be a good thing. Yeah, a bit like what Nelson Mandela did too, right? I mean, he came out of that prison, been going back to the, your you know, your favourite leader, and then him giving that, that's the way he united the, the the country, right? So he gave them hope. He gave them to feel like he knew and he was in, in charge and he could take control and people could latch on to him and his um, coattails and go forward as a, as a country. I think that was Yeah, a, and a, he embraced example. everyone, yeah, and, yeah, and took them all on that journey or tried to take them all on that journey. Yeah. Yeah, okay, with great. compassion and warmth as opposed to, you know, he could have been very bitter and marginalised people. He could have. He could have, and he was the opposite, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, well, Claire, hey, thank you for joining us on today's show. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go? 
Um, look, just go to my LinkedIn profile, Claire Morgan, and perhaps search that with New Zealand. That would be great. Excellent. Great. So thank you very much for joining us. Hey, what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and the unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Hey, look out for the episodes as they're being released and uh, have a listen, download them, put a review, put a rating and share them with your network, your friend, your families. If there's any feedback you'd like to give me on the show or if there's a question you want me to ask the guests or if there's a question you'd like to ask me for the Ask Dennis episode, send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us. Great to, to have you with us today. We'll talk again soon. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 